0: Amen. Thank you, Megan. Thank you, Lishi. Thank you, worship team. Great job. They just gave themselves some raucous applause. All six of them here in the room. Well, welcome again, everyone. My name is Eric Henderson. I'm the senior associate pastor here at Bethany uh, Greenlake. You know, it's still strange being here in the sanctuary each week with uh, just the band and the tech team and maybe a pastor or two, but maybe, may it uh, always be strange as long as it's necessary uh, for us to meet um, this way. But if you're wondering, and thanks to Lishi for that great uh, reminder that the church is more than a building, but if you're sort of wondering, like it's been a while since I've been there, your pews are just fine, the, uh, the floors are squeaky clean, the bathrooms are spotless, I was gonna say that the pencils are really sharp, but they're actually gone. Uh, and then uh, this morning, I actually walked through a spider web. So we're mostly doing pretty well. One of the favorite things of this COVID season, though, has been we, we took the, the shield off the drums because you each get to control your own volume now. So COVID ain't all bad. Uh, but jokes aside, uh, it is, uh, we miss being here together physically. Uh, but I'm so glad that we're connected spiritually in worship today. Uh, We're continuing our teaching series uh, in the book of Acts titled The New Shape of Church. And we certainly didn't see our lives together uh, taking this shape, did we? Now, if you're like me, it's, it's challenging to focus on just the shape of church because nearly every area of our lives has been reshaped in some way these past months. But we must not forget that we are citizens of heaven with eternity in our hearts. And it would be short-sighted of us to lose focus on our mission as followers of Jesus just just because of a little global pandemic, a continued fight against racism and injustice, a contentious election just around the corner during the most hyper-partisan season in our country since probably the Civil War. Not to mention, some of us are trying to figure out how our kindergartner is gonna learn over Zoom. If you're exhausted in this season, uh, you're not alone, and it's for good reason. But even in uh, in the midst of these major issues and questions, or I should say all the more because of these major issues and questions, it's vitally important that we regularly pause together and consider how God's Holy Spirit is working among us how Jesus is inviting us to be people of faith, hope, and love, seeing and responding to God's leading in the midst of every season and situation. So as we come to the text today, we pick up in Acts chapter 11, where a new controversy has emerged. And it's challenging the the unity of this new and growing movement of followers of Jesus. And this is our focus for today's message. You can follow along in the digital bulletin if you got one, but if not, I'll try to call it out for you. The Christian unity is often challenged by controversy, but when this occurs, Acts 11 gives us this beautiful guide to faithfully respond to it. So we're gonna look at three pieces of this guide together. The first is consider the facts. When controversy arises, consider the facts. The second Remember what the Lord has said. And the third, examine the fruit. Let's pray together. God, we're here, we're here together. Uh, Many of us though, in the midst of that may feel alone, uh, but we know that your spirit is is with us. And we know that because you have said that. And so even in places this morning in our own hearts where we don't feel it, we choose to trust uh, in your word. We choose to trust in what you have said. Jesus, speak to us now. Open our hearts. We pray that uh, we're able to, to focus together for a few moments. We pray that even the youngest among us would would uh, have hearts to listen and hear and learn at their level. Uh, but God, we're so grateful to be your people, connected uh, spiritually and socially, even as we're physically distant today. Lord, teach us now. We love you. In your name. Amen. Well, if you weren't able to join us last week, Jonathan Delasco did a great job taking us through Uh, chapter 10. And by the way, this was Jonathan's first sermon at Bethany uh, Green Lake. And so if you missed it, I encourage you to go back and find it. I think he's the online pastor today, so you can give him a shout out as well. But Jonathan's is an important emerging voice at Bethany, and we're grateful for his ministry among us. Uh, So as we begin, you'll remember that in chapter 10, we have this story of Peter's vision from God regarding clean and unclean meats and Peter being led by the Holy Spirit to the home of Cornelius, a centurion who was a well-respected, influential, and God-fearing Gentile. And while in the home of Cornelius, surrounded by Cornelius' friends and family, Peter shares the gospel as he was asked to do by Cornelius. And the Holy Spirit comes on them, and then Peter has the opportunity to baptize all of them. Now, as you and I might hear this story, we might say, where's the controversy? This seems like an ideal scenario that God stirs the hearts of someone. They invite you over to share the gospel. God tells you have no hesitation in going so you don't even have to have self-doubt in it. So you go and you do it. And then before you're even finished, the Holy Spirit comes on them and you baptize them. Sign me up, right? But chapter 11 begins like this. Let's look at verses one through three together. The apostles and the believers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him and said, you went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them. It says, the apostles and believers throughout Judea heard. Now, this is where the drama often starts, right? I heard, hey, did you hear? You know what I heard? Hey, did you hear what Peter did down in Caesarea? It's all over social media. By the way, did you see what Peter posted? Now, this is this moment that's like when when a prayer request, when Christian gossip comes in the form of a prayer request, right? Hey, pray for Peter. I heard he was eating inside the home of a centurion, a Gentile. So Peter rolls back into town and he has to answer to his community for his actions, which is a good thing, by the way. But it leads us to this first guiding principle when controversy arises. Consider the facts. Now, Peter tells the story of what happened. He doesn't spin it. He just gives them the play-by-play. Now for me, aside from listening to like sports on the radio, uh, I don't like play-by-play. I want the shortest version of the story. The next time you're telling me a story, watch me keep guessing to see if I can speed you along. Oh, oh, and, and then you found your keys in the freezer? Wow, oh, and that's when you realize that you left the baby on top of the car and that's how you that's and that's when you broke your leg okay i'm sorry it's a character flaw of mine but i don't want your long email either now my daughter she loves details she loves the play by play and is often trying to get me to hear every detail and when i try to speed her along she is undeterred so last week i think it was sunday night it was like as hot as it's been in a generation in Seattle. And so I chose in the middle of the night to go sleep in the basement where it's about 10 degrees cooler. And in the morning, I woke up to my daughter crawling in to the, the guest bed with me. And I said, how'd you know I was here? Did mom tell you? And she goes, no, what had happened was I, I woke up and I got out of bed and I, did my morning routine and brushed my teeth. And then I went in and I saw mom and I asked mom where you were and she told me you were downstairs. Uh, And then uh, I looked and saw that you weren't in the bed and then I came downstairs and here I am. And I'm like, did I not just ask you, did mom tell you? Uh, But there were some details there that were really important. So she went through the play-by-play So back to our story, Peter gives the circumcised believers in Jerusalem, upon their criticism of him, he gives them the play-by-play. So he says, I was praying and I saw a vision and a large sheet came down with animals on it and God said, kill and eat. And I said, no way. And God said, yes way. And then three men came to my door and the spirit said, go with them. I went and a man named Cornelius said, an angel told him to send for me and I would bring him a message that would save his whole house. So I shared about Jesus and the Holy Spirit came on them just like they came on us at Pentecost. And I was like, whoa, but then I remembered what the Lord had said. John the baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And I realized that if God gave them the same gift he gave us, who was I to think that I could stand in God's way? And listen to how the people respond, because I think this is rare in our day and age. It says, when they heard this, they had no further objections. They were even silenced for a moment. And then they praised God saying, so then even to Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. And when does this happen in our world today? We hear something about someone, we actually address it with them to their face, and then they, without defensiveness and spin, tell us the story. We listen, and then we say, well, praise God. We live in a time where a lie, even the rumor of a lie, travels the world faster than the truth can put its boots on. And the damage is done once it's out there, and there's no getting back. And much of the division in the church happens just like that. But for a community of believers committed to one another, like us, and building God's kingdom together, considering the facts when controversy arises is of paramount importance. And as the believers in Jerusalem considered the facts, they, like Peter, were very aware of one thing in particular. And we all need to hear this today. The gospel is God's thing. And the Holy Spirit was orchestrating the grace of God, extending to Gentile believers, even though this was new and uncomfortable to Jewish believers. They were open to God shifting their view of faithfulness and their view of correct theology and practice. Peter explained that just like at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came upon all at Cornelius' house. And then he rightly concludes, if God gave them the same gift he gave us, who was I to think that I could stand in God's way? And in response, the Jewish believers said, even to Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. When this controversy arose, their unity was challenged, but then as a result of considering the facts, it was deepened. Considering the facts, however, was just one step in this guide to faithfully addressing controversy. The second is found in verse 16, where it tells us that after the Holy Spirit came upon the room at Cornelius's house, which was no doubt a shock to Peter, and you can sort of imagine him doing the mental math. He says this, and then I remembered what the Lord had said. And this is our second rule in this guide. And I love this so much. This could be my first tattoo, and then I remembered what the Lord had, or maybe somewhere I can see it. And then I remembered what the Lord had said. Our lives are full of these bewildering moments and seasons. And most of us are in month six or so of one of these seasons. Seasons full of, of reasons to doubt. Moments where we wanna take the driver's seat. Like, give me that wheel, Jesus. And we wanna go our own way but the scripture says, then I remembered what the Lord had said. I love this idea of remembering. While not held in in, in very high regard in our society, where there's so much encouragement to, to forget and move on, Christian remembering takes into account not just our individual stories, which are often filled with so much pain, but the whole Christian narrative where we can find hope in God's continued faithfulness and movement, even when the math doesn't seem to add up. And central to remembering are the very words of Jesus, who is the full and final revelation from God. If we want to understand what God is like, we need only look at Jesus. So when faced with this unexpected occurrence, Peter remembered the words of Jesus. John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And and, and Peter as a devout Jew would have been flooded with a host of other places where the scriptures spoke of this very thing. This is John the Baptist in Matthew three, listen to this. I baptize you with water for repentance, but one who is more powerful than I is coming after me and I am not worthy to carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And, And Joel too, Way back, it says, Then afterward, I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. Peter was reminded, and Luke has been reminding us throughout the book of Acts, that the gospel is God's thing. And in a world with all sorts of agendas, As we attempt to live faithfully and be united in Christ, we do well to remember God's agenda of drawing all people to himself. And this leads us to the third guiding principle to faithfully respond to controversy. Examine the fruit, examine the fruit. Every movement has fruit, good and bad fruit. And certainly every movement of God is full of good fruit. Our brothers and sisters in the faith in chapter 11, moved by the Holy Spirit, considered the facts, and they remembered the words of Jesus. And as we look at what happens next, we can examine the fruit and see that it was good. Now there's three pieces of fruit that we'll walk through briefly together. The first piece of fruit comes from this controversy that turns into a unity builder that happens in verse 19 and 20. But it's almost easy to miss because Luke, the writer of Acts, doesn't make a a huge deal about it. His sentences are short and to the point. Some scholars say this is because he is writing on a scroll and he's got limited space and these scrolls are heavy and he's already used up so much of it by telling Peter's whole story with his vision and what happened at Cornelius' house two times. If you look back, it's rare that scripture repeats a a long story in back-to-back chapters. And surely this is a sign of its massive importance for us, that there were God-fearing Gentiles and God was extending the gospel to them as well. And this is the fruit we see in verses 19 and 20. We'll look at this together. Now, those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only, among Jews. That's verse 19, but let's look at verse 20. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about Jesus. And this was the first deliberate Gentile mission. This growing group of Jesus' followers endured this controversy in Cornelius' house, And then at Antioch began following God's lead and extending the gospel further out beyond Jews. And Luke goes on to tell us that it was here at Antioch that these followers of Jesus first began to be known as Christians, as Lishi reminded us earlier. And this is also significant because up to this point, this group of believers was really just an offshoot of Judaism, but here God was birthing something new and it was for all people, Who would believe? So that's the first piece of fruit. Now, the second piece of fruit to examine is found in verses 22 to 26. The scripture tells us that that news of the growing church by Gentiles coming to faith reached Jerusalem, and the disciples sent a man named Barnabas to check it out. And Barnabas saw what God was doing there, and he gave these new Christians a, a sort of pep talk, and then he went and got reinforcements. Now, what do we do when a mission is growing? We, we see it for ourselves, we encourage those involved and then we resource it. So Barnabas goes and gets Saul, who we know as Paul and then returns and the two of them stay for a whole year and teach this new community. Now, Saul sort of crashed and burned in his first gospel mission through no fault of his own. He crashed and burned because the disciples were afraid of him and the other people wanted to kill him. So he was sent back home to Tarsus for his own protection. And he was faithful to minister there for 12 years until Barnabas returns and brings him back to Antioch with him. Now there's a whole message here for another day on on leadership development, on waiting on the Lord and seeing the potential in another, how the gospel pulls everyone into the game to put their gifts to use. But for now, we can see that this fruit is good because this young church was taught up in the faith and Paul was launched into his missionary journey that we'll see in the rest of the book of Acts, spreading the gospel further and further out. And finally, there's one last piece of fruit to examine at the end of the chapter. In verses 27 to 30, we read that a prophet told of a famine coming to those living in Judea. And the disciples beyond Judea, in light of this, set up a relief fund and each gave generously to their new brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, some scholars believe that this was the first record in history of one people group collecting money for another people group in in order to support them. And what a beautiful example of unity. It, It was tested when the common belief was that the gospel was for the Jews, And it was deepened when these disciples remembered that the gospel was God's thing. And they again saw the fruit of God's grace reaching out just like it had done to them. So what does this mean for us? How might we apply all of this to our lives today? Jesus' last act before his arrest and crucifixion was to pray for all believers. And as Megan read, he prayed for unity. And twice in his prayer, Jesus references that unity among believers would be how the world would believe the gospel, that Jesus is the son of God and that Jesus loves the world. And too often in our world today, we uh, pursue unity to avoid conflict. Can't we just get along? And too often we cheapen unity by calling for it in order to keep the status quo. Let's not divide over this. And too often what we really mean is let's do nothing. But these events in Acts chapter 11 remind us that controversy, that disagreements and drama, though they challenge our unity, when responded to faithfully, can deepen our unity. And this would be a testimony to the world that God is for them, that God can be trusted as the source of life and hope and generosity and courage and joy. When considering the claims of our faith, the world need look no further than how we care for one another. And the question today is what will they see? We have the responsibility as a community in 2020, this weird and unending year to pursue unity together as we engage issues of justice in the world. Not just justice where you or I may personally want it, but justice where God wants it. And we need to continue to discern God's heart in these matters, Uh, across racial and ethnic lines, for justice regarding gender and sexuality, for the poor, for the unborn, for victims of trafficking and modern slavery, for the immigrant, and this is just to name a few. But we know that God hears the cries of all the oppressed, will we? We also have the responsibility to pursue unity as we vote in the upcoming election, and as we continue to invite Seattle uh, and beyond to God, community, and wholeness, regardless of who our earthly leaders are. And, and speaking of elections, you know, one of the most significant things about the church uh, at Antioch being called Christians for the first time is that this title took on a primary identity for them. When the text says that they were first called Christians, we can take this to mean, as I said earlier, that this was where the name began. But we can also take this to mean that these followers of Jesus were followers of Jesus before they were followers of anything else. In Latin, the ending I-A-N meant the party of. A Christian was of the party of Jesus the church at Antioch laid aside other titles and allegiances in pursuit of unity under Christ's rule. And yes, even as we pursue unity and live under Christ's rule together, we will strategically align from time to time with this group or that group, but not as fearful people and not as turf defenders, but rather as agents of God's justice and generosity. I titled this message, The Contours of Unity, because as I think about the shape of the church and the new shape that Jesus might be calling us to take, I'm thinking about these hard and soft edges. And I'm reminded that hard edges are like hard hearts. They can cut and wound. And surely the hard edges of the church have left many on the outside wounded and I'm all for boundaries as God has laid them out. But these first Christians in Acts 11 understood that even repentance was a gift from God, as we read earlier. So we must be careful to not stand in the way of whom God is inviting to this repentance that the scripture says leads to life. So what do we do? I say today that we have soft, responsive hearts that when controversy arises, we consider the facts, we remember what the Lord has said, and we examine the fruit. God is on mission in the world by his spirit through you and I, will we respond? Will we remain available? Now, if this sounds like an impossible mission, given the amount of disagreement that exists among us, there's good news. Even our unity is the work of God. So as we close, I invite us to consider one definition of Christian unity that I find so true and compelling. This will be on your screen. Christian unity is that unique grace of the Holy Spirit, which allows believers from all ethnicities, nationalities, personalities, and backgrounds to be of one heart, mind, and spirit in our love for Jesus Christ and in our commitment to the gospel. When believers live in unity, it reveals the life-changing power of the gospel to a watching world. May it be so of us. Let's pray together. God, we thank you that you are here among us. God, uh, it is so much easier at times to just click, unfollow or delete or just write uh, each other off for whatever reason. And God, we want to uh, press in together uh, to one another, toward one another, even in this season of distancing uh, because you've given us a mission in the world. Uh, Jesus, we need you, we need one another. We continue to invite your Holy Spirit uh, even now into our hearts, into our gathering, Jesus, we pray that nothing would get in the way of hungry and thirsty people uh, coming to you. We pray that as people look at us and look at our fellowship, they would understand that Jesus is alive in the world and he loves us. He loves me, each of us. So God, as we just take a few moments before we break uh, to commit these words to our hearts, I pray that deep within ourselves, we would uh, sing to you. God, speak to us, encourage us, convict us, correct us, uh, whatever it is you need to do. Uh, But Jesus, we're here, we're available, we're waiting. We love you, your name, amen. Let's worship together.